Welcome to Save the Cowboy. This is Pastor Kevin Weatherby, and I invite you to saddle up and ride with us as we strike a trot to the backside of God's green pastures and learn how to live for Him. Anyway, it's good to see everybody here today. Man, we have been having a blast, and we've had a real good response off of, uh, like Jared talked about, these barriers that keep people out of church and stuff like that. Um, today is about the stock show, keeping you from... No, not really, I'm joking. <laughs> That's a lie. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. So in, in about 10 B.C., we find Kevin roping in the motherland. Now, 10 years is before Christi, not before Christ. So at about 10 B.C., Griffin wasn't even a nibble on the ear yet. And um, I am roping at my neighbor's house, and we get out there, and I mean, it was just one of those days, Phil, you know what I'm talking about? It was one of those days that I couldn't miss, mainly because my header couldn't catch. But that's beside the point. I didn't miss. And so we got done roping and everything, and, and then we turned the kids loose. You know, if you want to scare the crap out of a Corrienti roping steer, turn a little bunch of mini humans with high-pitched voices loose in the arena on horses with kid ropes. They will just flat scatter those cattle. I guarantee you can walk in there. We had this, this cow, this steer that we'd rope, and he'd try to hook you when you were trying to get your rope off, but you put a kid in there, and that thing would run and climb out of the entire arena. I don't know what it was about little kids, but, well, you put them in a little pen, they stand up on the end, they torment them that way. They, and I know Leland and Lane don't have a clue what I'm talking about right now. But uh, anyway, so we were all, we'd come out of the arena and the kids are in there and boy, they was chasing. And you know, you look up and there's one steer and he's got like 14 ropes hanging off of it and one kid dragging and that's just the way it was. And so we're all sitting there and it's been about 30 minutes or so and we're sitting there having a good time and, and you hear... Hey, one of the steers got out, and there goes a steer covered in ropes out of the arena. And so, you know, we had our horses over here, and I had already unsaddled my horse. My horse was in the trailer, but one of Lee's horses was standing there with a halter on, and it was his good heading horse. Now, Rolly was a kind of a chestnut sorrel-looking uh, thing that was about as big, as wide as this stage. And, um, I, you know, I kind of looked like this whenever I rode him. It, it was real hard on the groin. And um, so anyway, I mean, I, I hate to brag, but I'm pretty, I was pretty salty back then. And so what I did is the old Roy Rogers deal where you just grab the, the halter and you throw it around and you tie it and you just swing up. And then you tie it again and you swing up. And then you try, and you finally get on this big horse. And I'd rode Rolly a couple of times. You know, I'd headed off of him and stuff. He's a pretty good horse. And so I turned him around, and I was going to go bring this steer back. And Lee jumps on his other horse that was still saddled. And so we come around the house. And I mean, when Rolly sees that steer, and I'm bareback, bareback. And I scoot up, and I kind of take me just a little hold. Not that I needed it. I mean... I didn't really need it. I did it more for the horse's sake than mine. Okay? But I took that cotton lead rope, and I kind of pushed it forward, and I kind of leaned forward and went, and all hell broke loose. <laughs> Dave liked sound effects. It sounded something like this. Whoa! Whoa! 
Rolly is flying out of crosshair. It has probably been 10 or 15 years since I've been bareback for any length of time. Well, I mean, besides driving to the horse trailer, because I'm not going to walk to the horse trailer. You're going to ride to the horse trailer. But this was a little bit different. We're screaming out across here, and he's jumping mesquite bushes, and I'm bawling and squatting. Now, I wasn't really bawling. It was the wind <laughs> was making tears come out of my eyes. A lot of people might have mistook that, but y'all real cowboys know what I'm talking about. And we were screaming out through there, and before I know it, I've got both legs on one side. I've got a front leg in one hand and a front leg in the other hand, and I'm biting him because that's the only way I can stay on and so I get out there, and finally, he starts slowing down, more out of confusion than necessity. And so he starts slowing down, and I wheel back around, and I get on. I told him, I said, y'all better have seen that, because I ain't trying that again. <laughs> we turned that steer, and we got that steer back in there. Today, I'm going to ask you a question. How much do you trust God? And a lot of people say, well, you know what? I I've got a lot of trust. I trust God with everything. Well, I want you, I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to come talk to me afterwards unless you just absolutely have to or you absolutely want to. The purpose of today is for you just to answer that question. How much do you trust God? Is the only experience you have with God is watching Him work in other people's lives? I mean, do, do, you, do you praise the Lord and, and when somebody says something, you're like, yeah, you know, I believe in God. And then secretly you're at, your, you're at home and you're like, you know what, man, I, I believe in you, God, but I ain't really seen nothing that magnificent. It's the only experience you have with God watching Him work in other people's lives. Have you tried church, reading the Bible, and praying, and still you wouldn't admit it to anybody? Maybe it's hard to even admit it to yourself. But have you tried church, reading the Bible, and praying, and you still feel empty? Many Christians today are the exact opposite of happy. So, you know, me and Christy, uh, well, I can't say it. Christy was reading to me last night, and it wasn't a fairy tale. That was the night before. She was reading to me last night, and uh, there's a great book, and we, we found that she doesn't like it whenever I look over her shoulder and read for some reason. Sometimes women are just unreasonable. And so she was reading to me, and, and this guy said, what is the opposite of happy? And I, and I immediately thought probably the same thing you thought, sadness. And he's like, no, sadness is not the opposite of happy. It's the other side of happy. Because you can cry out of joy. You can, tears can come out of your eyes when you're racing on a horse. From joy, not fear. Not because of the mesquite flying by, nothing like that. What is the opposite of happy? What he said, and I don't think I disagree. The opposite of happy is bored. Aren't we all looking for that adventure? Aren't we all secretly wishing either right now we were racing across that pasture or we look back to when we were younger, when we raced across that pasture in whatever form. Talked to a man this morning that does endurance motorcycle racing. I want to try that. Maybe in about four or five weeks. And maybe if my wife lets me. But are you bored? Is your Christian life, do you just, do you feel like you're faking it a lot? Most people's Christian lives aren't tearing across the pasture bareback. You know, they say, well, I've given God the reins to my life. But you know what they've done? They've made a hitching post God. They walk up there with their life, they tie the reins around the hitching post, 
And then they get up in the saddle and go, I'm giving you my life, God. And while everybody else is out there riding, they're sitting there going, I'm riding for the Lord. Well, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. You know, I thought this was supposed to be exciting. I thought it was supposed to be a wonderful experience. Man, this is boring. Are you bored and miserable? I asked you a question in the very beginning. Do you trust God? Do you, and what I say is, you know, we get to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He, was, he died on the cross, rose again in three days, okay? But, let me ask you a question. You might have faith, but do you have trust in God? Because trust is kind of like putting, putting your money where your mouth is or putting money where your faith is, you know what I mean? Trust is actually doing something, not just claiming you have something. Oh, I've got this big faith. Let me see it. Yeah, I'm riding for the Lord. Here I am, tied up to the hitching post. Did you know, did you know, is there any mesquite up here at all? No? That's a shame. Next week, we're going to have church in Kano, so I'm going to go show you all what mesquite looks like. You might bring some tire patches. Did you know that the taproot on a mesquite bush or tree, a mesquite bush and a mesquite tree, the only difference between the two is water? I mean, you've seen these majestic mesquite trees. You have not seen them around my place in Texas. That's further east. But, I mean, if a mesquite has enough water, I mean, it, it can grow, and they're beautiful, beautiful trees. They are not beautiful trees where I come from. They're little scraggly bushes that poke everything, everywhere. I know. But a mesquite bush, that's what we call it. It's just a, a bush is a tree with no water. A mesquite bush this big will have about one and a half times its height in a taproot that goes straight down. I mean, these things... They, they live and prosper in the desert and dry, arid areas. I am proud of myself. That was nearly a tongue twister. Nobody even said anything. I can't. Y'all should have been listening the first time. I'm not going to do it again. But it has a taproot one and a half times the size of the tree or the bush. So if it's this tall, you've got a taproot that goes this deep into the, into the ground. The feeder roots that spread out right below the surface can be four or five times the height of the tree. So if you've got a tree this high, you might have a feeder root that reaches all the way to the end of the sage or longer. I know this because I cleared the 10 acres in front of the house by hand for 30 seconds, and then I went and got the tractor <laughs> and spent $500 on a grubber and then spent the next 90 years turned around like this, grubbing mesquite. But I'm telling you, man, those things are wicked, wicked tough. So I, I decided to move my round pin. I know no cowboy in the world has ever thought, you know what, I'd be able to do it better if my round pin was over here. And so I took the round pin and I moved it over there into a place that I could run the Bronx right in and all of this stuff. It was just because I'm cool like that. And so anyway, but right in the middle, I'm walking across and it's like, that old, it's like walking through a, a baby powder. I mean, that old caliche when it gets dry and everything, it's just like uh, powder. And you're walking through there and I stumbled on something right in the middle of my round pen. And so I start kicking some of that dirt away, and there's a mesquite about this big. So I'm fixing to show him my cowboy axe skills. And I go over there and I get my axe, and I go, whack! That was just a warm-up. I meant to miss. It's kind of like the golf shot. Okay, there's no shame and taking a practice swing whenever you're chopping mesquite, okay? Or two, okay? 
So I hit this thing, and I mean, that axe just like, poof, it just stops. I'm like, holy cow. So I start moving, and come to find out this was an old, old mesquite, and it just had a baby growing up out of it because it was a big one underneath. And so I thought, you know what? I started clearing, and I started clearing, because Lee had the tractor, and I started clearing, and I started clearing. Has anybody ever seen Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood? They go out there in the middle of the stream, and they're going to bust this great gargantuan big rock out of the middle of the stream. And they're hitting it with sledgehammers. Dink! Dink! That's the way it was on my mesquite bush. I was pale cowboy. Literally. Be walking in. Did you make any progress? No, I didn't even dent the thing. And I work on this, and Christy's like, why don't you just get a chainsaw or something? It's the, it's the uh, what's, what words am I looking for? It's the principle of the matter. I'm a man. I did that for two days, and then I went and got the skill saw. Because I didn't, the chainsaw wouldn't start. So I got the skill saw, run 42 electric cords all the way out there. I had the little, uh, the big industrial ones like this big, and I had some little ones tied together, but I got them out there. And so I, around this mesquite, and it didn't do nothing but burn up my blade. So I said, by gosh, I'll fix this. I went and got a reciprocating skull, stuck it in there, and went, and broke the blade. Honey, if you ever wonder what happened to your electric knife, <laughs> I didn't touch it. Electric knives don't work good on mosquitoes. I mean, that's the theory. That's the theory. So anyway, I finally got the tractor back, and I finally, finally got this mesquite bush up out of the deal. But what I learned by that is just that little thing growing up. See, the worst thing in the world that you can do is prune a mesquite tree. Because it's kind of like my granddad used to say, you don't pick out a gray hair because two will go to its funeral. <laughs> Anybody else ever heard that? See, I told you to leave my hair alone. It's all her fault. I color mine gray so I'll look more wise. Dumb. Wisdom. Something. Anyway, so you prune a mesquite tree because the root's hard to get out. So a lot of people, they just go and they just cut it off at the base. Well, where there was one, when it grows back twice as fast, there's like two or three. And you cut those off, what grows up next is like five or six. And then you got this big bush and you can't even get down to it without poking your eyeball out and all that stuff. So the worst thing you can do is prune a mesquite tree. It's got feeding a stray dog. You start feeding a stray dog and the other strays show up, or stray cowboys. Everybody, anybody ever fed a stray cowboy? That'll, it'll work like that too. Who is that? I don't know. He's hungry though. Okay. Come get you some beans and a tortilla, cowboy. And go home. The number quadruples and you're worse off than when you started. I couldn't give up on that route, no matter what happened, because I knew that if I left it there, it would just grow back worse than before. And I didn't want to trip and fall on it. I didn't want a horse stepping on it. I mean, it had these little jagged things, you know, where it broke off and, and stuff like that. And I, you just had to get it out. There wasn't no other choice because, you know, my wife wondered why I moved the round pin in the first place, and I couldn't go back and move it back. Pride's in, the, pride's in the way. You know what? This past three weeks, a month, if you count today, we've been talking about breaking barriers in church. The first month, or the first Sunday, we talked about the people barrier. How people don't want to come to church because of the hypocrites in the church. And you know what? Just because it's a poor excuse doesn't mean it's not a valid excuse. There are hypocrites in the church. 
There are people that want to look down on other people and everything like that. And you know what? I said then, and I'll say it again. If your goal is to be an elitist Christian, go somewhere else. Because we're all sinners saved by grace in here. Ain't nobody better than nobody else in here. And you know what? Nobody's sin stinks worse than the the person sitting next to you in front of you or behind you. There doesn't need to be hypocrites. There's no room for it. There's no reason for it. The second week, we talked about organized religion. A lot of people say, well, I don't like organized religion. And like I was talking to somebody this morning, I said, you know what? You know, just because it's a poor excuse doesn't mean it's a valid one. It's not a valid one. I mean, organized religion, they've made it all about this and about that. I understand. I've been there. I was the king of these excuses. How about this one? I can worship God better in the pasture than in a building. Okay, that's great. Just because it's a poor excuse doesn't mean it's not a valid one. We talked about that. And today, you ready for this? Today, we've been talking about another barrier. We've been talking about the, the only thing church is good for is for taking your money barrier. We've been talking about money all morning. You just didn't know it. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for the money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Boy, does that sound like a mesquite bush or what? Let me read that one more time. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you want a Christian life that is exciting instead of boring? You have to uproot your faith in money taking care of you and start letting God taking care of you. A Christian that doesn't give is a Christian that ties themselves to a hitching post and climbs back on for the ride of their life, which goes absolutely nowhere. I ask you in the beginning if your Christian life was boring. I ask you in the beginning if you trusted God. And I don't know what your answer is, but a lot of people say, well, you know, I I give what I can. Okay, if you give what you can... Is that really trusting God? Or is that just tied up to the hitching post going, well, I'll give you the reins, but I'm not giving you my security saddle horn right here because I can't afford to give any more than that. The devil loves those kind of ineffective Christians, you know it. I mean, the Bible talks about that the lady that gave more than anybody else in the Bible gave one penny, but she gave everything she had. Now, I'm not asking y'all. Let me, let me be frank. This is not a sermon on Y'all going back there and putting money in the bucket. That is not what I'm talking about whatsoever. You know, I I did hear of a a organized religion church that uh, a guy went to, and he goes, you know, I don't go to church because during one service they passed the plate four times. I would have got up and left the second time it come around. Now, we don't even pass the plate here, and quite frankly, I don't care if you put anything back there or not. That's between you and God. But I'm telling you that a lot of people use, well, they just after my money. They use that as an excuse. And guys, the Great Commission, we talked about it last week. What was the first thing God said? He said to, he walked up to the disciples and said, follow me. Or he walked up to his disciples and said, ride with me, if, you, if that works better for you. And the last thing he said was go out into all the world, making disciples of all men and all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I have commanded. Look, you don't have to like it or not, but giving is biblical. I'm not up here trying to take your money. Like I said, don't put a dime back there. I don't care. But it is biblical. 
Giving is biblical. As a matter of fact, it's one of the only times that God in Malachi said, test me in this. See if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out my blessing upon you if you give sacrificially. Now, he didn't say give what you can. He said give sacrificially. Biblical facts about giving. It is one of the last things that Christians hold on to before they totally trust in God for their needs. Think about that. Oh, I trust God, but I'm not going to give any more than I can afford because I, I can't afford that, and then, and then I won't be able to make the house payment. Oh, are you trusting God? Probably not. You're trusting in money. If you give what you can afford, you've given nothing. And when you give to a church, you pool your money with others so that the church can accomplish things that most individuals never could. Let me tell you about some of those accomplishments from Save the Cowboy. This is y'all. This is not me. Now, I put my part in. Save the Cowboy accomplishments. Y'all have made house payments for a few people that couldn't afford it so that they wouldn't lose their house. You didn't know that, but you have. Y'all have paid for doctor's visits for people that didn't have insurance that were, that were real, real sick. Now, y'all didn't know about that, but you have. Y'all have taken the gospel to 10 states and worldwide right now on the Internet. I hope you knew that. Guys, y'all are doing miraculous things. Y'all support George and Vonda Cisneros in Guatemala every single week. You helped the guys that came up here and sing. They're watching right now from Guatemala. I've already talked to them. You helped pay for their C a, CD, a part of a CD that was made. By the way, we're, we're waiting on that. We're going to play it. But there's been miraculous things that we've done with just a little bit of everybody's giving. We've pulled that together and done miraculous things. I'm not asking you for your money. That is only between you and God. But if you do, if God has talked to you this morning, and I'm only saying this so that there's no, like, well, you didn't tell us. There's a barrel back there in the back. I'm not going to pass it. I'm not even going to look at it. There's a barrel in the back. There, check, cash, Rolex. I don't care. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Living quarter horse trailer title. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying. Just saying. I don't expect it, but God works in mysterious ways. You can come by the office. You can go online to savethecowboy.com, and there's a deal that says online giving. You can click on that and create an account, and it'll automatically take it out every month, just so you don't start hanging on to it by mistake. Guys, there's tons of ways. You can go back there right now, and Kim will be back there, and you can give with a credit card back there. A lot of people didn't know that. You know why you didn't know that? Because I don't care. I really don't. But I don't want to be the barrier between you living an exciting life. I don't want to be the barrier just because you didn't know how to give to be able to finally let loose of that hitching post and start riding like you mean it. Sure, it's scary. I won't lie. It's real scary, but it's a real big blessing. Do you really trust God or are you just faking it? You know, this old world is full of tough trails and scary switchbacks. Our prayer is that God spoke to you today through His Word. If you heard God talking to you, just get on the internet and visit us at SaveTheCowboy.com. We're trying to reach every corner of the globe wherever there might be a cowboy or cowgirl that needs to hear God's Word in a way that they can understand. But we can't do that without your support. You can become a saddle partner with us at our website, www.SaveTheCowboy.com, or contact us at 303-621-0133. Get out there and do what God's telling you to do. This program was brought to you by Western LLC, facility development for the oil and gas and aviation industries across the western United States. Reach them at westernllc.net 
Also by the good folks at Integrity Auto Repair in Kiowa, Colorado, and Comanche Creek Enterprises. Contact them today for no-till drilling and burrowing rodent control. 